Lord Jesus, you invite us to a feast in following you. Lord, we ask that you would use what you say in the Bible tonight to help us know you better and follow you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I first came here, I had my picture taken to be put up on the wall behind the reception desk with all the other pastor's pictures. We call it the wall of shame. (laughs) The problem is I am the most unphotogenic person on the planet. And on top of that, I have JDD, Joy Deficit Disorder. So the whole smiling thing is not my gift. So the photographer took dozens and dozens of pictures, and this is the best we could come up with. Look at that. Would you buy a used car from that man? Let alone go to his church. I mean, that is a grumpy-looking pastor. Who wants to go to a grumpy pastor's church? Well, a few months ago, I had to get another picture of me taken for some other reasons, and so I decided to have this one retaken since I hate it so much, and I said to the photographer, this time, I want to look happy. So I tried the whole smiling thing again, and it didn't work, and so the photographer took out those puppets that they used to make kids smile and started waving it back and forth and said, look at the pretty puppet. I felt absolutely ridiculous, but we got a better picture. Isn't that better? Now, every time you look at that picture, you'll know that what I'm really smiling at is a puppet. In fact, I'm thinking that we could use these two pictures as kind of a before and after ad for our church. Before First Press Bellevue, after First Press Bellevue. See how good you all have been for me? The problem, however, is to a lot of Americans, their image of what it means to be a Christian is this. Serious, dour, boring. And that's yet one more reason that people give for why they are not Christians. It is boring, and it will cramp my style. Now, to be fair, some Christians have made Jesus boring. As I've said to you before, too often as Christians, our team cheer has been, we don't drink, we don't chew, we don't go with girls who do, but join us anyway, because it's so much fun. It is a terrible ad campaign. The devil's got a way better marketing plan. But what we see on the pages of Scripture is that Jesus is absolutely not boring. When he came into Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday, people were screaming and shouting and waving things around. It wasn't boring. In one of the passages we just read, we find out that one of the things that religious people didn't like about Jesus, he was always eating and drinking and hanging out with sinners. Now, it's obvious that Jesus wasn't getting drunk or anything like that, but this much is clear. Jesus likes a party. And in the other story we read, Jesus compares following him to a banquet. I find that fascinating. Following Jesus is like a party. Jesus doesn't say following me is like going to the DMV. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is like a French film with subtitles. He doesn't say a certain man invited people over to look at his slides from his summer vacation. He says a man gave a party, a banquet, a feast. When we give our lives to Jesus, not just an hour a week on Sundays, but our whole lives, our Monday through Saturday lives, we enter into a feast. 
Jesus intends for our lives to be dynamic adventures when we follow him. And there are just two things we need to do to experience the real joy, the real thrill of following Jesus. And the first is this. We need to get over our excuses. We need to get beyond the excuses we give. This parable is actually kind of funny. These people have been invited to a party and listen to what they say. I can't. I just bought a field and I must go look at it. Okay, you can't go to a party because you'd rather go look at dirt. You need a life. You got issues. Right? You got a problem. Now, the third guy, he has a better excuse. He just got married, so he's got a good reason. But the rest are just lame. The thing that stands out in this parable is how weak our excuses are for not giving Jesus our whole lives. Let me put it to you this way. Right now, we are on a tiny patch of land on one continent on one planet, in a solar system of nine planets, in a galaxy with a billion other solar systems, in a universe with a billion other galaxies, and the God who created and sustains all of that wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with each one of us, and more than that, invites us to be partners with him in seeing his kingdom come to life on this planet, and our response to all of that is to say, oh, don't bother me, Desperate Housewives is not in 20 minutes. I can't. Or, you don't understand, Jesus, I've got, the promotion is so close, I just, I just need to focus there. I cannot come to the banquet, don't bother me, I'm much too busy. Compared to the feast God offers us, we choose famine. We miss out on a banquet to go look at a piece of dirt. Which brings me to the second thing that we have to do in order to experience the thrill of following Jesus, and that is we have to give him our whole lives not just a part of them. In our culture, we've reduced following Jesus to a matter of getting our hindquarters into heaven and going to church once a week, preferably for only an hour. That is a surefire way to make following Jesus really, really boring. And it's only by giving him our whole lives that the real adventure begins. That's what's going on in this story about the banquet. In Jesus' day, there were two invitations issued for every banquet. The first is to announce it and when it would be, and the second invitation went out when everything was ready and it was time to come to the banquet. This story is about people who've already accepted the first invitation, but when the banquet is actually ready and it's time to actually go, they bail out with a bunch of excuses. In other words, it's a story about people who say they want to give God their lives, Maybe they go to church. Maybe they sing the songs. They say they want to follow God. But when it comes right down to it, they have other things to do. People like me who say, I don't have time to experience God in prayer and actually talk to the creator of the cosmos, as cool as that would be. See, I've got these career things I've got to take care of. I've got a busy day, busy stuff, busy, busy, can't do it. Or people like me who say, I, you know, theoretically joining Jesus and building his kingdom sounds kind of cool. But wow, it, when I get right down to it, it's kind of uncomfortable and I'd rather be comfortable. This is about people like me who say yes to God with our lips, but no to God with our lives. And as a result, we miss out on the banquet. The reason following Jesus seems dull is because we're not. We're following ourselves and our own desire, and that's about the most boring thing there is. I am convinced that I am the most boring person alive. I am boring. Just ask my wife. I'm boring. And following me is dull. But to follow Jesus, that's exciting. 
Think of Jean McAllister, who is a member here in our church. She's 60-something years old, and she's a Presbyterian elder. And right now, she is in the process of selling her house to move to Rwanda. She visited there last summer with our Alongside Africa team, and she's moving there now. She, she says she doesn't even know what she's going to do. She just feels God asking her to go back. She has no idea what she's going to do, but she said to me at one point, well, there's two things I know I can do. I can be a mother and a grandmother. And because of the genocide there, there are a lot of people who need that. Now, when you think 60-something-year-old Presbyterian elder, the word party animal probably doesn't come to mind. Just taking a guess. Jean McAllister is a party animal. She rocks. She is experiencing the feast of following Jesus. And she's experiencing it because she did two things. She parked her excuses at the door, and she could have a lot of excuses. She's in her 60s. She's already been an elder. She's done her service. She parked her excuses at the door, and the second thing she's doing is following Jesus with her whole life. And the result is she is having the time of her life. Now, right about now, some of you may be thinking, whoa, wait a minute. I do not buy it, Scott. I do not buy that giving God my whole life is like a feast. I mean, go to Rwanda? That sounds terrible. Besides, I've heard some of your sermons about obeying God's rules for whole living. Have you looked at some of those rules lately? They prohibit some pretty fun stuff. You can't tell me that's a feast. Just as I thought, following Jesus will cramp my style. My answer to that objection is, yes, it will. That's absolutely right. To follow Jesus with our whole lives will definitely change the way we live. And it will transform our plans into his plans. But what we got to understand is that the reason God does that is not because he doesn't want us to have any fun. God doesn't have anything against fun. He's a fun guy. It's just that he values fulfilling more. And all the rules he gives us for whole living and all the things he calls us to do are meant to create a sense of fulfillment in us. Take success. God's got nothing against success. It's just that he values significance more. And he says to us, I got so much more for you than than just getting the promotion or the corner office or the next big project. How about a lifetime of watching me use you to transform other people? How about a lifetime of significance instead? Same with money. God's got nothing against money. He just says, hey, look, it's way more fun to invest it in people. At each point when we say, ooh, that looks fun, God says, yeah, but I've got fulfilling and fulfilling is better. C.S. Lewis says, the problem is not that Jesus finds our desires too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with ambition, drink, and sex when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. But when we give our whole lives to Jesus, the adventure begins. In a lot of ways, that's what we've been talking about since September when we've been talking about celebrating our Jubilee year by turning outward, doing acts of service that show our community the real Jesus. Because when we serve him, we see him and we experience the joy of following him. Just yesterday, I stopped by the church here in the morning, and there's a group of men that they've gotten together and they've offered a, uh, they started a car clinic. 
They've gotten together and they've offered free car repairs and car maintenance to families who can't afford it. And I, I stopped by here yesterday. There were guys of all ages. I mean, there was even a father and son team there. And, and the families whose cars were getting worked on, they brought all this homemade food. I mean, it was a feast. They were all having a great time. I mean, and the guys who were working on this car, I mean, you, they thought they'd gone to heaven, right? I mean, a whole day to tinker on cars and it's not even their cars. How fun could that be, right? That's awesome. They were not bored. They were having a good time. You could join us on August 13th when we give Stevenson Elementary School an, an extreme makeover. Or I think it should be called a divine makeover. I think that's a better phrase for it. There'll be things for every age to do, from kids to grandparents. We'll be working side by side together and with the families from Stevenson. There'll be food. There'll be music. Afterwards, we're going to come back here. We're going to eat together. We're going to worship God together. And it will only take you 240 minutes of your time. One four-hour shift. That's it. Now, to me, that sounds fun. Now, some of you might, right now might be thinking, well, isn't that just like a pastor to think that a work day sounds fun? Obviously Presbyterian, right? And it's true. If you were to ask me, Scott, honestly, honestly, wouldn't you rather spend that day lounging around in an easy chair, reading a book under a shady tree on a sunny day, sipping iced tea as your wife gently fans you to keep you cool? Wouldn't you rather do that? Not that she would. And not that I thought about the alternative. Wouldn't you rather do that? Well, I'd probably say, well, yeah, of course I would. Until I think about it a little more and a little deeper. And then I realize that the Stevenson Day actually does sound better. Harder, yes, but more meaningful, more relational. And at 8 p.m. on August 13th, which would leave me feeling more fulfilled? And which would I remember a year later? Well, hands down, it'd be the day at Stevenson because it would be more meaningful. It's as we follow Jesus with all that we've got that we receive all that he has to give. I have a friend who loves to vacation on Catalina Island in California. And whenever he goes, he just wants to get away from all the pressures of his life, the job, the finances, the family, everything. He just wants to sit on the beach, relax and read, do nothing. But lately, he's been starting every day with a simple prayer. Lord, help me to see who I can love today. And he prays that even when he's on vacation. And when he and his wife go to Catalina, they always eat at the same breakfast shop every morning. And along the way, they met a a busboy there who had just moved up from Mexico. And he was working three jobs just to make ends meet. And my friend and his wife would talk to him every morning. They struck up a friendship with him. And they began to find some simple ways to love him tangibly, just simple things. They'd offer him money when he was in a tight spot just to help him out. Whenever he had a problem, they'd be quick to pray with him, find ways that they could help, just simple things that they could do to love him. Well, on one of their trips, this guy told them that he was getting married at the end of that week and would they come to his wedding? And they said, no, we couldn't because we're on vacation and all they had was vacation clothes, you know, shorts, T-shirt, that kind of thing. They said, we can't. He said, don't worry about it. Just come as you are. So they went to the wedding and sat in the back of the church, sort of feeling kind of conspicuous because of how they were dressed. And part of the tradition of a Mexican wedding is that after the wedding, the bridal party and all the guests parade through the town to the town square. And so they all started this parade through the town. Everyone at the wedding started this parade through the town. 
And when they got to the town square, my friends tried to, you know, hide in the back as far back as they could, again, because of their clothes. And there were mariachi bands playing. The barbecues were all fired up, cooking dinner. I mean, it was a party. And in this culture, it was their tradition that the first dance is not between the bride and the groom. The first dance, the bride and groom go and dance with the two most honored guests at the wedding. So as the mariachi band struck up the music for the first dance, the bride and the groom piled through the crowds, clear to the back, found my friend and his wife in their Hawaiian, in their shorts and their Hawaiian shirts, right, just kind of sitting there, the only Caucasians there, pulled them into the center of the town square and danced the first dance with them. And it wasn't a waltz. It was cool. Because they consider them the most honored guests at their wedding. That's not boring. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. And all my friend did was simply ask God to show him who he could love every day. And then he noticed a man that most tourists just pass on by. And as a result, the vacations that he had planned, which frankly always sounded a little dull to me, turned into a party. Jesus has an adventure for you. It's got your name on it. Now, it may not be going to Rwanda. It may simply be the adventure of raising your kids to be godly men and godly women. That's one of the best adventures you could have. Or some simple act of service for the person who lives next door to you or the person who works in your office with you. My friend didn't spend a lot of time. He didn't spend a lot of money on his adventure. It was just part of his normal day. But when you're following Jesus, even going to breakfast becomes a thrill. And you sail right past fun and end up at fulfilling. You know, when I look at Jesus, healing people, raising people from the dead, talking to prostitutes and sinners when he should have been making nice with politicians and pastors, a lot of words come to mind, but boring isn't one of them. I often joke that I wouldn't hire Jesus for my staff because he'd be too radical. You know, calling people a brood of vipers, turning water into wine at the retreat. I'd have to pull them aside, say, you can't do that, Jesus. Yeah, I know. The elders get upset. I know. It's, it's who we are. Right? Management nightmare. Right? We serve a Lord whose first miracle was to turn water into wine just to keep a party going. We serve a God who had enough of a sense of humor to make a giraffe. Think about it. Those are funny looking critters, right? He must have laughed so hard when he made that. We have an adrenaline-charged God who made the entire universe in one big bang. That must have been a rush. And when he came to redeem us, he didn't write a book. He didn't read a lecture. He didn't preach a sermon. He came himself in the person of Jesus. And to make it really challenging, he took a huge risk and became human and put himself into our hands where we could do our worst to him. And we did. We crucified him. And then just to make things really interesting, instead of just rising up right away, oh no, he stayed in the tomb three whole days and then was raised from the dead. God likes a cliffhanger. Jesus is not boring. I heard a speaker named John Eldridge once, and in his talk he showed a scene from the movie The Last of the Mohicans, where there are these three men running through the woods together at night on a hunt. It was dark, and they were running really fast. The music was intense. They were on an adventure. And elders said, that's God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, on an adventure together. 
Through Jesus, God is in passionate pursuit of a world that is desperately running away from him. He is on a quest to find people who are alienated and broken and alone and make them part of his family. A quest to redeem this planet and to make this world look a lot more like his heaven. And the amazing thing is, the astonishing thing is, he asks you and he asks me, says to us, come on, get in the game. You do not want to miss this. You do not want to be on the sidelines for this. Get in the game. And how exciting would it be if we gave our whole lives to this radical guy named Jesus? You know, following Jesus halfway is the worst of all worlds. You get all the rules and the guilt and none of the fun. And to confine our faith to Sunday mornings and a few prayers here or there is like going to a banquet and only eating the celery sticks. I mean, have the chocolate cake for heaven's sakes. It's to die for. Literally. The kingdom of God is a banquet. And the only thing you have to do to have fun at a banquet is join the party. The invitations are out. No need to RSVP. Just join in the fun. And when we do, when we give him our whole lives, we go from this to this. And that's better. Jesus, I thank you that you... Have an adventure for us. Lord, I thank you that you didn't save us just so that we could sit around and twiddle our thumbs, but you saved us so that we could join you in your adventure, in your passionate pursuit of this world. Lord, I pray that you would take away our fears, because we have them. And Lord, I pray that you would take away our excuses, because to us they seem very real. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the energy and the power and the vision and the drive to enter into that adventure with you so that we could know you in a deeper way. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.